Hello and welcome to another episode of Speed Mentorship. My name is Matt McElroy, your host. Here in Speed Mentorship, our goal is to help you be a leader that others want to follow. We do that by asking top-notch leaders who are world-class at what they do, tough and challenging questions. We uh, gives us an ability to peer into their mind to see really what makes them unique and successful at what they do. Really excited for today's guest, from Sweetwater. His name is Jeff Radke. This guy was actually a mentor at our company for a season of time. You'd be surprised at how similar music equipment and garage door springs are in, in a way. I've learned a tremendous amount from this guy, but one of the things that I appreciate most about him is uh, his attitude and his character is absolutely off the charts. He's a down-to-earth leader who has very practical tips and tricks that can help us to learn and get better. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. Jeff, thanks for joining us for today's episode. Great to have you with us today. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Jeff, if we could uh, get started with just a quick, you know, one, two minute background about yourself and maybe even, you know, what kind of instrument you play? What's your, what's your thing that you're shredding and tearing up right now? Um, real quick background story. Uh, I have a degree in music business, recording technology, uh, done the internship in the studio. I was passionate about music uh, to that point. Um, saxophone is my primary in college, but uh, guitar is what I probably play the most these days. So still very involved with that. Awesome. Um, the uh, um, rest of the background, worked in retail in Los Angeles for a while, uh, was a regional national sales manager, covered uh, the United States, Mexico, uh, and I've now been at Sweetwater for going on my 26th year. Wow. Very cool. And just for a little bit of context for some of the viewers, how big is Sweetwater and how big is your team in particular? So um, currently... Uh, we have about 2,700 employees, and uh, my department is uh, about 950-ish. Actually, my responsibilities are, and that includes sales, includes our customer experience team, the CSRs, um, sales operations, tech support. So all customer-facing um, portions of the company I'm responsible for. And in addition to that, uh, we have a contracting company, All Pro Integrated Systems, and uh, I'm responsible for that as well. So they're out there doing installs in churches and casinos and stadiums and all that good stuff. What is Sweetwater's uh, top cultural principles that make it successful? How, how do you guys, you know, for the culture there, what are some of the key things that you're like, hey, we're always going to invest in these areas or maybe they're buzzwords or things like that. But I mean, I've been to your guys' facility and it is phenomenal. It is absolutely amazing. So how do you know, what's the thought process that goes into building things like that and having such a great culture? Um, some of the key things, I'll start with the really big one. Uh, there's a, the principle of Kaizen where we are um, seeking continual improvement. Um, if you sat in on one of our management meetings, we never, literally never are patting ourselves on the back. We are picking apart the little things that are not as good as we'd like them to be. Um, and, uh, and I can kind of boil this down into one, one thing that we really, really do believe wholeheartedly is if we have a thousand customers and only one of them is unhappy, you can celebrate that, but we're, we, we don't look at percentages. Uh, we look at humans. So if we have, you know, 30,000 invoices in a day and three of them went bad, that impacted three humans. So that's what we focus on. So we are uh, constantly, constantly trying to make the experience better. And um, our fundamental and founding um, principle really is do the right thing. Uh, 
And that ties into everything else. It's not hyperbole for us. Um, it, it applies to how we treat our customers, how we treat our employees, how we treat our vendors. I, I was on the vendor side when I first um, contacted Sweetwater. So I called on, on the founder back when he's still working out of his house and it was just him. And that's one of the things that impressed me was how he wanted to treat me as a vendor. Uh, instead of squeezing me for the lowest price and beating me up and, and making an adversarial thing, he was a partner. And that's just the way we approached everything here. Um, in sales. So for a salesperson here that do the right thing means that they're, they know that if they work hard and they take care of customers and do the right thing, the money will come. Uh, it, the, the customers will remain friends and, and taking care of, we're taking care of those friends and they'll remain loyal through recessions or pandemics or whatever else may hit us. Um, and if you do the right thing continually and consistently, you can put your head on the pillow at the end of the day and sleep with a, cure, with a clear conscience. And I, I I kind of like that. I, I think I tend to uh, not want to be feeling bad about something that I did or that my, my team did uh, or that we made them do, like selling something to somebody that they don't need. That would be a horrible thing to do. So what does a typical day look like? Somebody that has, you said 900-ish employees, you know? So, I mean, what does a typical day look like for you? What's the stuff that you're personally doing on a daily basis? Uh, there's, there is no typical day. I'll, I'll start there. Uh, I, sure. I do uh, meet with my direct, direct reports in a regular cadence, one-on-ones. I think that's really, really important for me to stay in touch. Um, I am one of those guys who would love to know everything about everything all the time. And I, I've had to kind of pull myself back. And uh, now I, I kind of live vicariously through some of the, the management team that we have. But um, so uh, I, I'm very involved with uh, strategy um, with other departments. So working closely with marketing, merchandising to make sure that we're all in sync. Um, goal setting, policies, procedures. Uh, and one of the things that I, I do um, a lot is I'm still very involved with interviewing folks. So I, I believe bringing the right people into the building is arguably the most important thing I could do. So uh, that's been a hard one for me to let go of. And I do at this point, let some other folks run with those interviews, but I'm still doing uh, multiple interviews a week for sales engineers. Wow. That's great. If you guys, I've been, uh, uh, has there been like challenges and stuff trying to get top engineers right now, just with the hiring environment and all the different things that are going on? It's been a really interesting time. Um, we have, uh, I, it was it was super interesting during COVID because most of my interviews were done just like this via Zoom. And uh, it, it it's hard to not see somebody face to face. I really like that. Uh, we do bring folks in here for the interviews and uh, I can learn so much about them through the body language, how they interact with others, and they get a chance to experience uh, the company and, and the town. Um, most of my hires, about 80% plus, are not from Fort Wayne or Indiana, so this is a, a big move for them. So it uh, definitely been a challenge um, because things were so disrupted, um, and it's just not been comfortable for a lot of people, I think, to leave home. They want to they stay close to home, and I get it, and uh, we, we've got some great ties with universities and and uh, uh, the vast majority of our sales engineers actually were customers. It's over 80% of our sales engineers were uh, customers prior to coming here. So that's a, a very good place to look. They've experienced us firsthand and uh, really understand our culture and how we work. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge right now with a lot of the hiring stuff that's going on. Um, so what would, you, what would you say are your top most successful habits? Um, and even down to the granular level of, you know, what does your morning routine look like? Um, you know, do you, you know, how many times, you know, do you exercise a week? Do you exercise at all? You know, but just kind of like in general, what do you think helps you to be, you know, successful? What are some of these habits that you have in place that help you to, you know, stay at the top of your game? 
Uh, great question. So morning routine actually starts the night before. Uh, I don't want to have to think about what I'm going to put on in the morning. So I lay everything out at night. So I'm, I'm all set uh, to go. But um, outside of that, uh, I, I do pray every night. I, I focus on the blessings that I, I have in my life. I really try hard not to focus on the other stuff that's out there. Um, tell my wife I love her, make sure I've got the relationships good. Uh, on, on the, I guess the lighter side, I drink a glass of water uh, every morning when I wake up first thing, um, and I actually do drink a lot of water overall, um, try to have a good breakfast. Um, I try to touch email and knock things down the night before so I, I can have a somewhat clear plate in the morning, clean plate in the morning. Um, so as far as exercise, uh, not enough. COVID really broke me. I used to have a great routine <laughs> and was so disciplined, but um, the habits I developed over the years were broken, and I'm still trying to get back into that. I do play tennis a couple times a week. Uh, my wife and I have a, a very large dog, so we go for very long walks, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to work my way back into it, so I'm, I feel bad about that. I'm, I'm not doing everything I once did to stay as healthy as I'd like to be. And then it, um, it, I think just, I think moving to the next one, you know, we're going to look at uh, criticism. It's a big part. And I think a leadership mindset and just trying to wrap our minds around trying to receive feedback. It's something, you know, I struggle with at times. I know there's a lot of leaders out there that really struggle with some of this stuff. So I would love to hear um, how you maintain a healthy viewpoint on criticism, whether it's from your employees, your boss, your spouse, uh, and then, you know, how do you not let it uh, affect you in, in unhealthy ways? Uh, and that's a great question. Um, it's really difficult because I want everybody to like me. I, you know, I, I, I do my best. I, I'm trying to do, a, you know, an honorable job uh, of leading the team and, and setting policy and everything else. But um, the reality is, and this is a tough one for, I think, leaders everywhere, uh, not everybody's going to agree with what you do or like what you do. And uh, you have to develop somewhat of a thick skin. But uh, for me, it really is um, staying a course and doing things in a way that I can sleep at night. I know that I've done my very best. And uh, I, I do take uh, uh, the criticism to heart in, in that I, I try and figure out where they're coming from. I'm seeking to understand and uh, really evaluate the perspectives, but at the end of the day, I know I can't make everybody happy. So, um, and I think if you really care about what you do, criticism hurts and, and it's just yeah. going to, and, and you, uh, I, for me, I, if I, I, for me, it's really important that I process. So I, I just have to think it through, evaluate and, and move on. And I've gotten better and better at that over the years as well, where I, I, I try to understand where it came from. Maybe somebody's having a bad day or, uh, I don't always know what's going on in somebody's life outside of work. And I, I have to just give some grace in those areas yeah. and, and go with what is when I'm just be true to my heart. Yeah, no, it's good. It was funny. I was listening to this podcast and this guy was talking about um, criticism and how he um, receives criticism online via social media and all these different things. And he says he actually goes into their individual profiles, looks at the criticism then goes to their profile, sees if he can learn anything else from them, then he blocks them so that they'll never contact him again. I was like, I was like I love that's that. freaking crazy. I that's love it. Genius. So that, that, that is pretty good. So uh, one of the things that we do here, and I think it's really important, um, I've been doing this for years and years, I uh, ask uh, my team a series of questions I call personal perspective worksheets to get their feedback on um, everything from what makes them happy, what motivates them, because everybody has different motivations, all the way to what can we do better? 
And uh, we've got an environment here, and I'm really proud of this. They're very open. So if they have a problem, they'll tell me about it. And then uh, myself and, and our management team will respond to every one of those. But uh, we get, you know, you're, you're going to get feedback that you're not going to like. You're going to get feedback that uh, you have to really seek to understand. And it gives us an, also an opportunity to respond and to, in some cases, speak with them and talk through it so that we can get better. But uh, we invite that. I, I, that's how we're learning. I, I can't live in a bubble and think I'm doing everything perfect. I, I need that criticism. Totally. That's, that's really good. Um, so we're going to move to stress and dealing with stress. And um, obviously, you know, every leader and all their, you know, pretty much any position that you're in is going to experience stress. And I think it's interesting how certain people are able to cope with stress. It, it seems like a little bit better. So when you experience stress, um, you know, what's your, what are some of the mechanisms that you use and do to cope with it in a healthy, healthy way? Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a little insight. I, I hate the word stress because I think it's so overused and abused and embraced, frankly, yeah. where I have to be stressed. I've got a hard job. I've got to be stressed. I've got to brag about how stressed I am. Totally. So, okay, I'm, I'll take a step back from that. Um, uh, for me, uh, there, there are two aspects to it. First, I do everything I can to uh, prevent it in the first place. So uh, obviously that's that's uh, living a healthy life in as many ways as you can, including having strong relationships and, and a good support system and all that stuff. Um, it means being prepared so that you don't get caught off guard. Um, and uh, here, for example, we put every new employee, uh, every new sales employee through 13 weeks of training so that they're not going to be caught off guard. They're going to be ready. They're going to be champion at the bit. Um, as far as stress itself, uh, I, I think you have to find a, a degree of um, balance in how you perceive things. And, and I'm, I'm all about attitude. I, I think your attitude is the most important thing that you bring to life and, and that you bring to uh, the work world as well. So coming in with a positive attitude, trying to view things as a challenge, viewing uh, what others would term a stressful situation as a challenge is the best way to approach it for me. I, I, I look at it and it's like, okay, there's, there's a way to get this done. Let's figure it out. Um, there's also a level of self-awareness so I can feel when I'm starting to get stressed. And uh, at that point, take that step back, take a breath, um, figure out what uh, the best course is uh, to handle that. But I don't delay things. So if there's a, a thing that's stressful, for example, an, an upset customer, uh, I don't wait until the afternoon to address it. I don't wait until the next day. I, I jump on it right away and take care of it. So I don't have anything clogging up my brain and uh, making me feel bad or, or worried and and I think the other part of this is I think that stress can also enhance life. So it, it kind of intensifies the experience. So if you've ever played on stage or done any, uh, played a sport where you had to take the last shot, uh, is that bad stress? I, I don't think so. I, I think that kind of uh, makes you feel a little bit more alive and, and helps you live a little bit more fully. I, I, where I think stress really is the issue is if you're in a situation where you can't uh, control your environment. The, the more control you have over your environment, the less likely you are to get stressed. Um, and, and that could be working in a company that has onerous policies or, or whatever, but uh, the more latitude that I have, the easier it is for me to handle things. So what I'm hearing you say is reframing, I, I guess, the word stress and and using it in more of a, like, how how can this adrenaline or how can this feeling that I have be used in a positive beneficial way and not just something that is negative because if you perceive it as something negative then it will probably tend to have more negative consequences as opposed to if you perceive it as something that can help you 
now it's going to be perceived in a better light and, and actually be used to your benefit. Absolutely. And it's, it's preparing for the probabilities and not worrying about the possibilities. Jeff, next question is, are you more introverted or extroverted? You can say ambivert if you want to be both of them, but you know, which one do you tend to lean on? And then what kind of leadership advice do you have for somebody who is more either introverted or extroverted? Uh, for me, there's no question I am more introverted. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't like people. doesn't mean that I can't speak to a large group. Um, I'm just much more at ease one-on-one -on -one or in a small group. And uh, a big social event takes a lot out of me. That's really what it means. So uh, as far as leadership advice, um, the reality is you can't force people to work with you the way you are. So you have to adapt. Um, if I'm talking to you and, and I'm not getting through, it's my responsibility to figure out how to handle that. Um, if I'm introverted, I can't expect people to treat me a certain way. I have to, I have to meet them where they are. Uh, and I, I was just talking with another manager here the other day about that, who is um, truly introverted. And you, you have to go to where the other people are. You, you just, uh, you've got to adapt. Uh, the only person that can really limit the impact I have is me. Uh, so I, I've got to adjust. It takes a little more energy, but yeah, you have to adjust. I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that, you know, introverts aren't great leaders. Um, and if you're introverted, you can't be a great leader because, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to give that rah-rah speech or things like that. And I just, I see that so many times as some of the, um, some of the best leaders I've ever met are introverted leaders, which is just kind of cool to think about. Mm -hmm. So... I like to think I'm okay. So that, that helps. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm decent. Um, Beautiful. So how do you manage your ego? We all have ego. How do you make sure it doesn't get out of whack and you keep it in check to make sure that you're um, kind of well-balanced in that area? Um, for me, it really is a matter of, man, I am humbled every day by the number of incredible people around me uh, in the workplace and in life in general, uh, personally and professionally. I, I've never once in my life Gone. Hey, I made it. I got it. I'm. I've, I've done. Um, there's always a new challenge around the corner. There's always something to learn. So I, I think for me, it's uh, being continually aware of all that I don't know, uh, and appreciating the folks around me who are, are crazy, crazy talented. I, I have some lifelong friends. Literally, the uh, it's a group of three guys that I've known. One of them since kindergarten, uh, and the most uh, recent one for about thirty. Well, gosh, almost forty years. Um, and we can have conversations at a really deep level. There's no uh, BS. It, it, we, we've known each other forever, so there's no pretension allowed. Um, but for me, it, it really is just, uh, and, and, and I'll be frank, I, I'm a Christian too, and, and some of it comes from that. I, I don't uh, really have a, a place and shouldn't have a place in my life to have a, a, a stupidly large ego and think I'm always right. Um, one of the things that we do here that, that I'm, I'm really intentional about with my team is uh, at a staff meeting, I'm not preaching to them and, and telling them what to do. I'm taking their feedback. And I, I've very intentionally um, built a team that is extremely diverse in the way they think and the way they approach uh, things. So there's always something for me to learn. One of the first things that I said when I got here was please come to me with solutions, not problems. And sometimes, uh, very often, they've got a great solution. And for, for our employees, it means that they realize they have, they're empowered to do that. They can think for themselves. They can have their own solutions and run their own business. Um, and for me, I learn a lot from them. And occasionally I'll give them some guidance because I've been around for a while and I've got some perspectives, but uh, it really is much better for everybody if they can run on their own and 
think think for themselves. Mm, so good, so good. What kind of mantras or languages, you know, or language, um, you know, do you tell yourself? Is there, you know, a particular um, go-to that you have? Um, and I know that kind of changes based on the season of life that you're in and kind of what you're doing, but. You know, is there anything that you just like, man, it's really, you know, a really empowering statement that you tell yourself regularly? Uh, this one might make you laugh. Uh, I'll give you the context first. Um, when my wife and I were building a house, we built a, built a home a, a few years back. And uh, obviously we have different opinions about things. And there, there's some, man, I really, what? I've got to have this. Yeah, it never happens, right? Uh, or I want this kind of stone or whatever, this color over here or whatever. Uh, for me, it was a studio, I have a recording studio. And that was one of those things, man, I've got to have this, I have the opportunity to do it. I can build the wall so nobody can hear me. I was the, I was the dad the kids were telling to turn it down. Um, and I used to joke about this uh, and, and the compromises as which hill am I willing to die on? Mm-hmm. And I take that approach to work as, at work as well. Um, there are some issues that I have an opinion on, I care about, but am I really willing to go to the mat and sacrifice other things or, or uh, elevate the level of uh, intensity? Is it worth it? Is it really, really worth it? Uh, is it a hill that I'm willing to die on? Um, and I, I do take that approach with decisions here every day. And, and that allows me the freedom, actually. It, it frees me from getting overly invested in too many things. Uh, so I'm, I'm able to focus on, man, this, this I know is going to move the needle. I know this is really important for the culture. I'm going to fight for that. I'm going to, I'm going to advocate for that and do whatever it takes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest a lot of emotional energy in it if I need to. And there are other things that's like, yeah, that, that'll work and, and it may work better than what I was thinking. And let's, let's go with that and let it happen. Exactly. So that, that is, that is one really big one for me. The other, the other thing that I, I, I've worked really hard on and continue to work hard on is to be patient and seek to understand. I'm uh, the kind of person who likes to uh, if I hear a problem, let's fix it now. Let's just dive in, get it done, let's go. And I need to take the time to to fully understand and work cooperatively instead of jumping on a solution and dictating. Uh, and, and again, when I first got here, one of the things that I said was, please come to me with solutions, not problems. And uh, let's let's let me learn by listening instead of handing out solutions. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that either you and your career or, um, you know, Sweetwater has faced? And then how did you guys overcome those challenges? Um, there, there have been many. Um, the biggest one for us, uh, it has truly been scaling, uh, just trying to figure out how fast we're going to grow and try and adapt to that. Uh, when I first got here, I think we had 22 or 23 sales engineers and we did maybe $25 million. This year we'll do north of one and a half billion. And, in between those two points, uh, there was a lot of life and a lot of action trying to figure out how to um, get people trained correctly. So when I first got here, we didn't have Sweetwater University. So that's been developed over time so that we could have consistency uh, of service there. And Sweetwater University, by the way, and this reinforces your, your previous question a little bit, is not just tech. Um, that's about half of it. Then part of it is the sales process, understanding that. Um, but it, it really is, it goes beyond using the tools and selling to a lot of life skills things. So in, in Sweetwater University, we do, I, I do a class on goal setting. Um, we do a couple classes on personal finance. We really do everything we can to help somebody be very well-rounded and very comfortable uh, and well-prepared, not just for the business, but for life uh, overall. Um, we do a couple classes on Fort Wayne, living in Fort Wayne, invite the spouses over. So um, we, we do a lot to build those teams. And uh, getting back kind of that, to your previous question here, um, 
the, the sales engineers that go through Sweetwater University together and uh, work shoulder to shoulder, those are really great support networks for them long-term, which does reinforce the culture. Mm -hmm. um, so back to the uh, um, challenges. Um, so uh, certainly going through the, uh, the great recession phrase that I hate uh, was, was a challenge because the world kind of changed for a while there. And um, uh, our founder, uh, uh, famously got up in front of a sales meeting one time and said, we're going to choose not to participate in the recession, which uh, I thought was an incredibly bold statement. And what that really meant is we're, we're going to find a way to fight through this. And because of our business model and the relationships, we kept calling our customers, kept talking with them, even if they weren't at that point able to buy, fine, let's, we're, they're our friends, let's take care of them, let's see what's going on. Um, and by maintaining those relationships, they all came back and they didn't, we didn't cut marketing. We didn't fire people. We've never terminated anybody. Never, never, I'm sorry, never laid anybody off. Um, we just kept the ball rolling. In fact, during the great recession, I kept hiring at the same pace I was before because I knew that when we came out of it, we'd be very busy. Um, but it's uh, the, the recession was a challenge. And obviously we, we, we run a, we run a very tight ship, but obviously we also were very careful about refilling positions. So if uh, that we, we, we didn't stop hiring, but we became even more intentional just to make sure that we didn't have a lot of uh, extra uh, weight there. And that again, allowed us to get through without laying anybody off. I love that perspective. We choose not to participate in the recession. Come on, man. That's it was, so great. It was a great rallying cry. Yeah. Um, so Today, you know, in, in your guys' company, what, what are some of the top um, or what are, some, what are some of the most common leadership issues um, that, that you see in, in young leaders today? And what kind of coaching advice do you have for those individuals? Um, some of the stuff that I said before, actually, it, it does apply here. So uh, they have to have somewhat of a thick skin. Um, some of the people, especially if they're uh, being rising through the ranks, so they they were working here, now they're a manager. Uh, your peers might treat you a little bit differently. They they might either uh, expect favors, so you'll be a little bit more slack with them, or they might have push you in a, in a different way just because now you're in a different position. They'll they'll treat you differently. But um, for the newer leaders, having the crucial conversations with employees, uh, and that's something that uh, man I, I've gotten so much better at over the years. Uh, you need to do that. If somebody's not doing well, you shouldn't yell at them, beat them up. That's not what I'm saying, but you have to be honest with them. You have to say, hey, this, this needs to get fixed. Here's what's happening. Uh, and in doing that, by having those crucial conversations, sometimes you'll learn that they're going through something outside of work. Okay, now I understand why their production has productivity has dropped off a little bit, or, or they seem like they're, they're not as present, or they're coming in late or whatever else. But um, beyond that, they have to know where they stand. Uh, I don't think anybody should ever be ambushed by an evaluation at the end of the year. By the way, I hate, I hate annual um, reviews. I think that's dumb. Um, I, uh, if, if somebody doesn't know where they stand in the moment with me, I'm not doing my job effectively. And so very solid, very solid. And I think you're right. I think that's the number one issue that we see is having crucial, tough conversations and trying to get more people comfortable and you know, capable of doing that is super valuable, but I, I agree. I know it's something I, I struggled with too, and um, I'm still, you know, getting better at it. So, um, so what about grit and resiliency in, in leaders today? How, how do you help develop that capability? There's some people that just seem to have the, the knack of really being able to um, just put their head down and continue to push through a process and get it done. 
but you know, I believe you can develop that. I mean, what are your thoughts on how do you help somebody develop their grit and resiliency and just continue to get better at, um, you know, finishing those, those tasks? Yeah, I think uh, from a leadership perspective, uh, I, I have to see some signs of the grit and resiliency before I put them in that position. But um, in terms of developing it, uh, I think it's talking them through situations as they're going through. So having a strong enough relationship with them where I, I'll know what's going on uh, and what they're challenged with. And um, in some cases, it, let's say they're, uh, let's go back to a, a crucial conversation with an employee. Sometimes I will join them in that so yeah. I can model it. Uh, here's how I, here's how I would communicate with that, where I'm, uh, I'm just going to be factual. I'm going to be direct um, and uh, let them see how that works. So um, I believe that good leaders are, well, I believe salespeople are professional communicators and problem solvers and, I, and double that for sales management. So uh, you have to look at an employee issue or a problem as something that you can solve. It's not, it's not uh, something that's going to take you down. You just need to go and resolve it and, and dig in. And uh, they know they've got the support system. And, and one of the great things as, as we've grown now is there are a number of leaders that they can go to that might have a style more like theirs. Mm -hmm. So not everybody's going to conduct themselves like I would in that situation, but there are other people that you might be more comfortable modeling. Mm. And, and, and also too, you know, on, on the fail from a failure perspective, I think there's a lot of people that are afraid to put themselves out there because of, you know, failure or fear of, you know, looking stupid or whatever, what kind of advice do you have for people to kind of get out of their own heads and be okay, making mistakes and messing up? What's, you know, do, do you have some thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I, definitely talk about a lot in Sweetwater University with newer hires is do not be afraid to fail. That's how you're going to learn. You're going to, I, I promise you, you're going to have a conversation with a customer. You're going to hang up the phone and go, I blew that one. I, I, I missed this opportunity or I, I allowed myself to get emotionally elevated. and I didn't communicate like I, I had intended to or meant to. Um, and it's going to happen. Learn from it and move on. Um, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't do it again. Uh, but learn from it and move on. And that's, uh, that's truly how you're going to learn to get better. So anybody who's ever played an instrument, you didn't pick it up and play a piece perfectly. You made tons of mistakes and you had to hammer your way through and figure it out and develop your technique. And eventually you got there. And the same is true with uh, any role, whether that's in sales or as, as a leader. Especially I hear if you're trying to learn uh, violin, I hear that one's uh, especially painful as you're learning. So for the ears, that is. <laughs> <laughs> that was my least favorite one to learn in college. Actually, we had to do all the, uh, all the techniques classes and uh, violin was not fun for me. I love cello, violin, not so much. No, okay, okay. Um, so what about somebody who's seeking a promotion or wants to kind of continue to develop their career and, and get to the next level? Um, I'm sure this happens all the time in your organization. What kind of advice do you have for people like that? Uh, first, something that may be counterintuitive is why, why do you want to be a leader? Um, I've certainly interviewed folks here, uh, who were on the team who just felt like it was the next thing they had to do for some reason. They didn't have a passion for it. Um, back when I was in sales in, in Los Angeles, um, I loved helping grow people and, and, and I'd kind of discovered that and, uh, that's what led me on my, on my current path. I love selling too. And that, that was great, but that part of it was more important to me. It fed me in a different way. So uh, they have to have a really strong uh, answer to that, why you want to do this. The advice I'd give somebody that wants to take it to the next level is you have to earn it. 
and being uh, tenure does not equal that. So you can, you can work someplace a long, long time. That doesn't mean that you deserve a promotion. So yeah, uh, you have to be the person that's willing to do the things others aren't. You have to put forth some extra effort. You have to be a great team player. Um, you, you have to be a person who cares about the organization that doesn't approach it from a selfish perspective. And uh, in the sales world, it's incredibly easy for people to be very me focused where I'm concerned about my income and my customers and my, 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 my. Mm -hmm. um, when you see people kind of blossom out of that, and I've got a whole bunch of folks here, I'm very blessed, who are willing to kind of take on additional tasks and responsibilities and lead groups without expecting something for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the other thing uh, that some people really uh, kind of, do that would bother me a lot is, okay, I did this, what's in it for me? Instead of I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's for the good of our customers. It's for the good of the company. It's for the good. Of, and if you do that, um, if you conduct yourself that way, you're going to get noticed. I, I love that because there is, to your point, there is so many people that, you know, you could tell they're doing it for personal ambition as opposed to doing it to further the, the company or the mission or the organization. And I could tell you from my perspective too, I notice those people a lot, um, a lot faster who are doing it for the right reasons. And they're Absolutely. inherently going to continue to get more responsibility, more autonomy, more authority. But the individuals that are just doing it for themselves, you're only going to get so far with that. And so I think that's a brilliant point. Thank you. And it's, for me, it, it really is, um, I, I believe in the concept of a meritocracy. I don't treat everybody equally. I never will. I treat them as they deserve to be treated. And that yeah. applies to my kids. It applies to my employees. Um, you, you're going to earn the latitude. You're going to earn the respect. You're going to earn uh, the right to just run with things on your own. Mm. Totally. So you mentioned you're in a tennis league. You have, um, you know, I'm sure a bunch of different, you know, things going on with your kids and at home. And, um, and just in general, I think one of the challenges and struggles that I have, and I know a lot of other people have is, how to bring harmony to the work life and the home life and to try and balance those things and to try and find a way to make those things work the, as best as possible. Um, you know, what kind of advice do you have for kind of a busy, somebody who's, you know, got a busy career, busy life? How do you, um, you know, what kind of advice do you have for them to try and balance that a little bit better? Sleep less. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I, I, Taking a, a real quick step back, I don't think there's any such thing as balance. I think there's balancing. There are seasons of life where I'm going to have to invest myself more in work or more in family. And that could, it could be a season of life. It could be a week. It could be a day. It could be whatever. Um, for me, there, there are a few things. Um, uh, first, the key for me really has been communication. So my, my wife has been very understanding. When I took on the position here, I told her for the first X number of months, I'm going to be diving deep uh, and she was very understanding and, and we kept talking and, and that was healthy. Um, so I do try and be very, very intentional about how I invest my time. And I, I'm not saying spend, I'm saying investing because I, there has to be an ROI on it. Um, and for me, that, that means making time for those things that are important to me. And uh, over the years, as my kids are growing up, I coached basketball, I coached soccer. I coached uh, softball. I, I did all that stuff and I made time for that because that was really important to me. Um, my daughter was a, a competitive gymnast, so I wrote the music for her floor routine. Um, that's stuff I, I had to carve out and dedicate the time. Um, I'm 
I found when I first started working here, especially where I was really immersed in it, that I stopped being as creative as I was in writing and doing all the things that I, that I, that I needed to do. And mm-hmm. um, one thing that worked really well for me is I, I made one of those buddies that I talked about earlier, an accountability partner. And every week I would tell him how many minutes I spent doing something creative. I would send him an email. It was just here, here's what I did. And uh, it, it, it is something for me where I, I do have to allocate the time to do it. I, um, uh, if I don't do that, uh, it'll fill up with something else. And it may be something else that I'm not going to care as much about as spending time with my kids. And, and to that point, when my, my, for my son, for example, he, he just graduated from college this weekend, but when he was little, um, if I was reading a paper or doing something or on my laptop and he said, hey, dad, you want to play ping pong? Guess what I did? I dropped whatever I was doing yeah. and I played ping pong because I, that's the important thing. And you have to recognize that. And that, that's part of the whole balancing thing for me. There have to be some non-negotiables, work and life events that are just so important that you would regret missing them. And you have to do them. And like you said, I think there's different seasons where you're going to be busy. Maybe you're starting up a new project or you're starting a new career or something like that. But as long as it, I think, eventually goes back to... Uh, a state of um, of healthiness. I think that is a great point. It, it does ebb and flow, and um, that's okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen folks draw that line in the sand and get really frustrated, and when they when they miss it by a minute or whatever, you know, um, there are folks that are like, hey, "I'm going to work until six o'clock. That's it. That's all, and I'm done." But then that customer calls you at five fifty five, and you have to go a little bit late. Are you are you going to regret that? Or are you going to go? This is part of the gig. This is what I signed yeah. up for and move on. Well, hey, last question. You know, I got to end you on a good question here just because, you know, you are kind of in the music industry and shaping the music industry in a lot of ways. So um, my question for you is, what is your vision for the music industry in the next 10 years? Um, and, you know, what's what do you think Sweetwater's role in that is going to be? Um, man, I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, one of the... Uh, side effects of the pandemic was more people picked up instruments and played instruments. Um, per a study by Fender, uh, Fender Guitars, about 16 million people picked up a guitar to entertain themselves during the pandemic. Um, the interesting thing was a lot of people got to get past the sore finger stage and stuck with it. So there are a lot of musicians that, that wouldn't have existed uh, that are using and, and have discovered music as a way to uh, um, express themselves, enjoy themselves, relax. Uh, it's therapy for me. So uh, the technology is making it easier and easier to do amazing things. So that's that's always been really, really exciting for me. So I started in this industry just when home recording was a thing, was getting to be a thing with little uh, cassette, four track cassette recorders and things like that. And now what you can do at home is just unbelievable. So uh, it's a great escape. Uh, I, I do believe it's therapeutic. Actually, my wife has a degree in music therapy. Um, I know that during the pandemic, I played more guitar than I had for years. And uh, as far as the industry itself, uh, I think things accelerated a couple of years in the retail world overall during the pandemic. Um, certainly the way we do business online uh, blossomed and, and bloomed. Um, as for us, uh, we're going to do all that we can. I, I want to be the only place a customer has to call from the very beginning to um, uh, if they have tech questions after the fact. Um, I mean, we're just going to keep doing what we can, everything that we can to serve our existing and new customers uh, to help them achieve their musical dreams. And some people do it professionally. The vast majority of our customers are not pros. Um, but a couple of things that, that we've added recently that, that I'm really, really excited about is band and orchestra. 
Uh, I'm a sax player, so I've actually acquired three new saxophones since we've been doing that. Uh, and I'm playing a lot more saxophone now, which um, interestingly, my wife said, it's kind of fun to hear you play again. Like, I haven't played for years. Um, and we, we just launched something that I'm uh, super excited about called Gear Exchange, where our customers are going to be able to post uh, and buy use their used gear. So uh, one of the things that are inevitable with what we do is you're always finding the new thing. So, yep, I used this pedal for a while. Now it's time for a new pedal or this equipment. I, I'm done with that. I'm going to get something new. Um, we're going to give them a place where they can reach out to each other. And that's a new platform for us that we just literally introduced this week. So I'm super excited Brilliant. about that. But Brilliant Pardon? idea. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's cool. Um, and then, hey, just any other final advice for kind of next generation of leaders or um, just leadership in general? Any other kind of advice for the uh, viewers here? Be patient. Uh, I'm I'm one of those guys who I, I know I may not be the smartest guy or the most experienced guy in the room, but I always believed that I could outwork most people. Um, I used to joke about that as success through attrition. Um, but <laughs> If you stick with it, uh, you're going to get better at it. So don't don't shy away from it. If I'm if I'm a, a phone salesperson, um, that means if I make 30 calls a day, I'm going to progress very slowly. If I make 100 calls a day, I'm going to progress much more quickly. Not just for the sake of making the calls, but I'm going to get better at what I do. It's like practicing an instrument. If I practice for five minutes versus two hours a day, I'm going to get a lot better if I practice two hours a day. So nothing uh, comes without a price. And there is, I, I think. One of the things that uh, folks need to realize is there is always a price. There is always some pain um, in order to achieve. Uh, if you play guitar, you're going to get sore fingers. You're going to get frustrated sometimes, but you're going to get better over time. Yeah. And the same is true with any kind of leadership position or any job. Beautiful. Well, Jeff, hey, appreciate your time here uh, on the podcast. Learned a ton of stuff from you today. Um, just appreciate your leadership and wisdom. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, hopefully you guys found value in today's episode. Um, there was all kinds of amazing things that Jeff talked about. Um, but I'll say for me personally, one of the big takeaways that I had um, and that I had really um, when he was here talking more as a, kind of in a mentor role was um, the way that they use training and really how good Sweetwater is from a training perspective is really mind boggling. Um, you know, when you look at how they've got from, you know, really a startup company to over a billion dollar organization, I think one of the things that they do that is absolutely world-class is their training programs and how much they continue to invest in training. So I just thought that was phenomenal. And I have a lot of uh, personal takeaways from that that we're continuing to improve and work on. And um, so anyways, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. Also would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on today's episode. And uh, just in general, thanks so much for being a part of our, our leadership community.